Joe presents House of Rugby, United Rugby Championship, together with Bank of Ireland, proud supporter of the four Irish provinces. Hello and welcome back to House of Rugby. What a game this weekend, guys. La Rochelle are the 2022 Heineken Cup champions. A last-minute try against Leinster. I'm just off the plane myself. Fly came in late, boss. Look who I brought. Mr. Darren Cave is back. It's good to be back. I'm uh, just off the plane as well. We'll get into that later. Not at the Champions Cup final, but dealing with two screaming um, PSD Irish toddlers in Portugal. Getting sunburned all week, so I'm very, very stressed. But good to be here. Excellent, excellent. Now we had to bring a Leinster man in. Uh, legend of the game, Mr. Victor Costello. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Yeah, just off the train. Came in about oh, 30, 30 minutes, so fresh as a daisy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the first time we've had three different provinces. I know, so it's good. It's good. No, we love it. Good little chat here. Nice, unbiased. Yeah, we need a Connacht. We need a Connacht man for Nixon or woman. Well, we do. We do. That's what we, we do. do. We do. Excellent. But uh, we get straight into the game, obviously. Anyway, um, Darren, do you see it coming? Um, yeah, I don't. Uh, Lancer were favourites for me, but it wasn't. It was. Uh, it was this. Everyone in hindsight was going, oh, yeah, no, it wasn't that foreground version. I don't think anybody thought it was, but everyone, do you know what I mean, after? So, um, yeah, I think, you know, on the occasion in France, the French crowd, um, but I can't figure out am I happy or not. You know, part of me, you know, and then it was even the full-time whistle, there was a shot of Leo. Yeah. And he was just sitting there, and I thought, flip, um, and we'll get into it later. But... Um, Obviously, really happy for the Irish contingent in La Rochelle. I've played over in La Rochelle. Unbelievable town, class place. So I was happy to see them get a get a star. And um, we might have to wait uh, next year for Leinster to have another rattle getting a fifth star. <laughs> How did you make it again, Victor? I thought it was quite predictable from, from afar. I thought there were, the expectation levels were very, very high. That's always dangerous. It brings you back to my generation where, you know, leaving somewhere like France, you know, losing a game was normal but also as heartbreaking. So when you say you see Leo in a stand, it's like, it's a tough, it's a tough ask to come back. And then also say to yourself, ah, oh, well, next year it's in Dublin because that heaps more pressure on because these finals aren't that easy to get to. But it's going to be, it's a good learning curve. But the consolation was, of course, the Munster contingent, Raj and Dunnick Ryan in La Rochelle, I thought they were fantastic. I thought they worked from long before that kickoff. There was a lot of work done at Leinster, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into, but for Leinster's point of view, really tough one to, to, to take, um, you know, particularly with the, the travelling support down there who fought through all the queues and all the airport delays and the trouble getting flight, flights and accommodation. So, you know, that irks some players, um, but does himself off big game this weekend. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think think it's a, I think it's tough when, as a neutral, it's great when the games are that close and it's come down to absolutely nothing. But you do, um, and it was interesting, here in O'Gara, in one of his interviews, uh, I can't remember. There's so many, uh, there's so many TV channels at those games. Um, but and his first thought was for like the um, the Lancer management in particular. When he mm. name dropped, probably went through them all and just said he like he was there last year. Um, and when you've done absolutely everything, you know, there's probably nothing Lancer could have done. Like they did enough to win it. Mm. But um, yeah, it was just really impressive from La Rochelle. I found it hard to. I mean, Leinster have scored so many tries. Mm -hmm. uh, the group was a bit of a shambles this year. Yeah. But I was looking at it, I think Leinster averaged, uh, well, they only played three of the matches. I think they averaged 10 tries a game. Like, no, yeah. it, it, was, it, was, it was some shabby uh, 
opposition. Yeah, that's it's, my Pelé game, especially with that seventy point game. So just help. to stop them scoring a try, you know, it, it was so impressive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like uh, we said it before, we like, we came on come on came on air. Like I think the game very much played into their hands. So I was over there early on Friday. I was there for the captain's run with with Leinster and, and with Lara Shell. So Leinster, very serious, very robotic, very tuned in. Which is fair enough. It's how you prepare for a game. But Lara Shell came out straight away. Socks pulled down. Big boom box onto the pitch. They were all dancing, throwing the ball around. The occasion didn't get to them. The pre-match press conference, Agar was asking pretty interesting questions based on you know basically just being ruled out by everyone, like you know. And he just sat there, very calm, very collected. Was kind of like. Don't be surprised if we win tomorrow. Mm. And he also mentioned his back row. He said, I think we've got some of the best back rows in the world. I think over the ball, I think we're unstoppable. And he was kind of giving away hints of this is how we're going to attack and this is how we're going to approach this game. And then once the game started, or even sorry, even in the build-up beforehand, talking to Leinster fans on the streets, and they're all like, 20 points plus, 25 points plus, 30 points plus. And I'm like, for real? You don't realise this is La Rochelle and this is the Champions Cup final. We're in France. And then once the game started, the atmosphere, La Rochelle took over. And you're kind of like... There's something in the air here, you know. There's then to get shit to keep it scoreless, no choice. But see, home game, you know, down the south of France, their turf, their hard turf, hard ground, 30 degrees heat. Wayne Barnes, traditionally known as a hometown referee. Um, you know, if you were thinking this is going to be a walkover, then you're completely naive. Now, you'd know yourself, Darren, it, 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 this seeps into the team. Did it seep into the team, this level of expectation? Every dog in the street was, ex- was expecting Leinster to win because they had the two-second or one-second rook. They had all these expert opinions coming out everywhere. You were saying in the captain's run, it was, it was all very serious. But there was no plan B on the pitch. So then you look back, were you better off being relaxed? So what confidence did La Rochelle have that obviously Raj and Dunica infused into them? So, you know, these 80-minute games happen very quickly and there's a lot of stresses and sometimes with stresses things give so what gave for Leinster and I think if you look back and to lead into this they had an easy run in they had Munster really empty Toulouse with 100 minutes then Leinster played Toulouse and Naviva was a walk in the park Leicester was a walk in the park for 20 minutes they get down here it isn't going to be a walk in the park but why wasn't a walk in the park we all knew slow down Jameson Gibson Park Ty Furlong in the scrum you know, was it going to be as easy as it was against Toulouse? People thought it would have been, and it wasn't. And, you know, you'd throw in the Ronald Gara factor, who just sat there for two weeks and, and picked out how to beat Leinster, slowed him down and get the man over the ball. And Leinster had no plan B, which then brings me back to talking about leadership. Where was the leadership? And then team selection, you know? So hindsight's twenty twenty, but what would they have done differently? Yeah. And how do, how do you find watching those games? Because you played with Leo Androge, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So how do you find that watching two guys that you played with? Like when you were playing with them, was it pretty obvious? I think I actually just about played with them both. I think I played with Leo in some Robbie Wolfhounds game somewhere um, as he was finishing off. But you know, when you were playing, did you think those two guys were going to go on um, and be so successful coaching? Both very hungry, hungry, both great captains, great leaders. But if you looked at the dynamic from the semis of, of the sound bites in the media were totally different. Rogers really covered, covered it. Leo, I felt was a bit nervous. So you had the out half versus the second row. The out half was leading the charge, you know, could lead a team on a pitch, now had to lead a team from off the pitch. Leo, fantastic captain, fantastic coach, but had a great team around him and yes. has a great team around him. And, and that, you know, two different styles. Then you look at Leo, who has stayed in Leinster, Captain Leinster, and you look at Raj, who's gone around the world, down to Canterbury. So when we spoke off air about how, you know, what opportunity Raj has in the future after this win, 
Well, he's already done New Zealand. So he's yeah. got the whole world is his oyster in terms of coaching. You know? So as two players, hugely successful, hugely ambitious, but totally different. Totally yeah. different. I, I find they're both... Um they're both quite inter- uh, interesting to interview uh, or to listen to the interviews. You know, before and after games, coaches and players, I don't know, um, maybe because it wasn't that long ago, it was me regurgitating nonsense, but I find it very painful to listen to. Those guys are a little different. I think they speak pretty well. Rog, in particular, just comes across, and he's he's an interesting guy because it'll be interesting to hear your take on this. Before I met Rog, as like a, a diehard Ulster fan, and because of the way he played and he was so competitive, um, I wasn't a big fan of him, and then mm. I met him, and I was like, "Like, what an absolute like gentleman! Like, mm. he's as nice a guy as I've ever met in rugby." And he comes across in his interviews like he answers the questions really thoughtfully, and he comes across really honestly. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Takes yeah. his like, time. Very, yeah, he takes really his time. takes his time. He makes it, and he, he it just comes across really, really honest. And I think that's something that you know him as a player is working for him. Of course, he has the rugby knowledge. You know, the guy's played 140 games for Ireland at 10, but he comes across. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah very passionate. You know, they spoke about the emotions. I mean, he spoke a lot about the emotion, taking the emotion out of it. But if you look at his monster career, there was a huge amount of emotion in it. You know, and I think one of the greatest moments of yesterday's game was, or Saturday's game was, when Rog came down off the off the uh, the, the, the coach yes. box. Yeah. From Irish rugby point of view, his wife his new French team, his coaches, and, and what it meant to him, you know, and straight down to Craig uh, with, with the um, with BT and Draco and Lars Delalio. But he was just living this. This meant so much to him, but he also, as you say, respected the opposition and the pain they had to go through to get here. And then conversely, you had Leo, who was hurting. And I've been in that situation, hurting really, really badly, away from home with traveling support. But yeah, Rog believes in what he's doing, passionate about what it is. But um, but also has gone through the pain to get there, you know, which yeah. uh, which everyone has to do, unfortunately. I remember like just just as the final whistle there, so I was down doing stuff with BT and I was on the touchline and I went down to the pitch like and the first thing I did was go up to Agara and done a groin. So them got in the picture at me, they were smiling, thumbs up, and I was like, you could see what it meant to them. Like it was just electric in the air. The the, the players were crying, they were shaking, they just they couldn't believe it. But at the same time, they kind of they knew that there was something here. And if you look at the game, the game itself, we get to more detail, like in terms of how it played out, you're saying they had no plan B. The, f- the first um, the, the, the first eight minutes, there was four penalties given away by La Rochelle and Leinster were cruising. Mm-hmm. Take the lead. And all of a sudden, then that Raymond rule try comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And then like, it's a momentous. I think Leinster didn't know what to do. And they're like, hold on a second now. We thought we were cruising here with these kicks. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, and that try was out of nothing. It was. Well, you know? The problem with Wayne Barnes, and this is the pre-study you do in these games, Wayne Barnes, if he gives you four penalties, he's going to take them away in the second half. You know? <laughs> and that's, that's what happens. And it came, you know, there were stupid 50-50 calls that were penalties. And that's what he does. He goes in the halftime, it's like somebody speaks to him, hey, Wayne, you're doing well, but you need to eat it up a little bit. You know, and like he's human, yeah. but that's what happened. You know, there were some stupid calls in the second half that went against Lancer compared to the first half when a lot of calls went with them. I actually mm-hmm. spoke to Wayne in the hotel after the game. We had a few beers and whatnot, and I was chatting to him about it. And he was saying that like the fans and the noise made it very difficult. Like, like I probably see it on TV, but when you're in there, those La Rochelle fans, they are tribal. It was really like, and he just said, you just somehow have to switch yourself off and put yourself in there. And that's, it's easier said than done, I'd say. Yeah, and it's, um, 
interested in thinking of tactics and, and, and these penalties and Wayne Barnes. And again, I want to Roger's interviews. He um, said, you know, 369 doesn't win you finals. You know, and that was something that he had learned playing for Munster that you've got to go and score a try. Um, so again, maybe that was part of this La Rochelle plan. Let's hammer the breakdown. And you know what? If we have to give away a penalty, uh, particularly early on, to disrupt their flow, um, then so be it. Because if you stop their flow, you've got a chance of beating them, and they did. Um, so I thought that was another interesting point as well. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, look, as I said, you look onto the game, I mean, they did look very flat. Leinster did throughout the game. You know what I mean? Like, do, you th- do you think sometimes when a result doesn't go... Like, Leinster were so close to winning that game, okay? Do you think if like, if Leinster win that game, if something happens at the end and the try doesn't, you know, whatever it is... Turnover. Like, are we having this whatever. conversation? Um, no, we're not really, because at the end of the day, our final is fine margins. Yeah. Isn't it really? Like, and all it was, it was a try in the last second. Sometimes, uh, I actually think it, it's, it's worse in Leinster because of the expectation. And... I think particularly within the province and the people of Leinster, the fans have an absurd level of, because they've been spoilt rotten with a phenomenal team. Like, do you know, you get my yeah. point. If they win that game, are we sitting going, you know, no plan B, team selection was wrong. Or are we going, do you know what? That's the sign of the absolute best of the best. They can play pretty average. And I know they didn't, but for this conversation, say, um, you know, say that ball as he reached is a knock on, falls out mm. of his hand. We're not having this conversation. I think if it was a coaching ticket, a French co- coaching ticket from La Rochelle, definitely a Leinster win. But if you look at the old Leinster uh, expectation the last two weeks, since they beat Toulouse, it was this final is in the bag. Mm. People were traveling down to be part of the event where they won the fifth star. Yes. And traveling home with rose petals back to Donnybrook <laughs> for, for a reunion or a welcome home party yeah. in Donnybrook yesterday. Now, that puts immense pressure on players, immense pressure. But it also then feeds into Raj. This is meat and drink for Raj over decades of Munster versus Leinster. I remember 2006 watching Leinster play in the semi-final where it was in Lansdowne Road, but it was Leinster-Munster. And the two captains coming out, Axel Foley, uh, um, uh, our dear friend, Reggie Corrigan, you could see Leinster coming out confident, overconfident. They were told they were going to win. Munster came out, Anthony Foley, Raj, uh, terrified, terrified to lose. And they beat Leicester by 40 points. This was the same again. This was a Leinster expectations. They had the two-second rook. They had all of this stuff. But Raj unpicked it. Raj determined, this is how you beat Leinster. I've been doing it for years back in my days playing, and this is how you do it. And he told, the, he told the French team how to do it. He told the French public to travel to see it happening, and it unfolded in front of our eyes. Yeah. And, you know, again, this is me being really harsh on it, but it was two weeks of that build-up, negative, negatively for Leinster, but hugely positive for La Rochelle. It's interesting, you've mentioned the Toulouse game a couple of times, and I definitely um, haven't seen them play back-to-back against Ulster and watch them against Munster. Um, I definitely felt that Toulouse team weren't the Toulouse team that no. people thought they were. Mm. I felt they were there for the take in, in yeah. Belfast. Ulster made an absolute horrific of it. Munster did the exact same. And actually, I felt like it was their third trip to Ireland in, what, four to yeah. six weeks. Yeah. Leinster were the only Irish problems. It actually gave them what they deserved. They deserved it in Belfast. Yeah. Um, when that big, uh, that actually was a cheap shot, came in on Zebo, uh, and the yellow card came out. And I thought, this is curtains. Yeah. And I thought, Munster, how have you done an Ulster? And then when they rolled in for Leinster, I, it was fairly... So it's just interesting that you mentioned that game, because I was quite adamant before and after the Toulouse game that Toulouse actually weren't great. No, they weren't. They weren't you know, and then it brings in the other part of 
what's probably the toughest part of most coaches' job, but again, that Leinster management, is trying to compete in both trophies is mm. so, so difficult. Um, and there was a, you know, the kicking the ball out the end of South Africa and then rotating the teams and hindsight's always brilliant. Mm. Um, but it's such a tough thing to manage. It looked, I mean, again, you said it, it was written in the stars. You were going, they've gone to South Africa. They've got the bonus point. They're top of the, you know, then they've come back and they've beaten Toulouse, who I do think were poor. They've then, you know, rotated back to that South African team, beaten mm. Munster easily, bring the big guns Walk in. Park. And then, <laughs> you know what I mean? Walk yeah. their way to a double. Yeah. And that's why I think when you ask about Raj and Leo, Leo could see this possibly happening because he's been through it before. Yes. Whereas Raj has been there before where he's been the underdog against a talented uh, Leinster side. So it was like a, a history repeating itself to a certain amount. You know? um, as I said, if it was a French co coaching ticket at halftime, they would have expected the Leinster to run wild. And of course, Wayne Barnes, they would have joined in the Fiori and then yeah. game over. You know? What I thought was interesting as well is you're saying that we're, you know, the, the rose patterns that I know, we're all expecting Leinster to win. Traditionally, we that's just, it's an Irish thing. And we think that we do build our teams up too much. But it wasn't just Leinster and the Leinster fans building them up. I was running around the pitch before and obviously I was talking to Sean O'Brien and O'Driscoll and of course they were saying Leinster, but Lauren Salalio was like, Leinster, we're going to walk this. Austin Healy, Leinster will walk this. Ugo Manya, Leinster will walk this. It, was every, it wasn't just the Irish fans, the Leinster fans. Everyone was like, I don't even know why, why we're here. Like, it's just going to be a, it's just a Leinster win. Like, we're just here, we're getting paid, it's great. But if, you know what I mean? Does anyone want to hand the Leinster, Leinster the trophy now? That's how it felt. The whole atmosphere all weekend was just La Rochelle, like, you're just here in the final for the sake of being here because Leinster needs someone to play. And we've learned, didn't it? It is <laughs> such a hard competition to win. Yeah. That, you know, um, I, uh, I was fortunate enough to get to a final, but uh, in many ways, it's one of the highlights of my Ulster career, but the lowlights as well, because we shipped about 40 or 45 points to Leinster actually 10 years ago. And it's funny thinking back to that team because I remember playing that Leinster team and thinking that is one of the best club sides. That was sort of... Um, like uh, Darcy, O'Driscoll, Saxon yeah. just coming through. The two in a row, it was when they got two in a row, wasn't it? Uh, like O'Brien flying, yeah. Leo was still playing, like, and I remember Redzer thinking this team, like Carnes, obviously, um, this, like, they'll never be a better. And then they just kept getting better and better and yeah. better and better. And every time you can't think they can't produce any more players, you know? How was in, in your career what you played for Leinster amateur and professional, is that correct? Just yeah, just a couple of years amateur. And yeah. what I'm quite interested about is like where where do you think this um it's not even a, a, a dynasty at Leinster anymore. Yeah. It's a it's a production line of success and stars, and we're astounded they haven't won a Champions Cup. where for you? Like if you could put your finger on like one thing or a couple of things, where did where did it start? I think, great, great question. I think, um, and I was thinking long, long and hard about this for a you're long waiting, time. You're, wait, you're, you're <laughs> waiting for that question. <laughs> so when I was asked, I played in the professional era as an amateur possibly, but um, I think in around our time, we the Interpros were, were really the big thing and then the European started and we got to the semi-final of the European Cup in the first, first ever European Cup. And then you think it's going to happen every year and of course it doesn't. Um, I think, I mean, people talk about the, the Brian O'Driscoll era. When Brian O'Driscoll came into the club, Shane Horgan, Dennis Hickey, Leo Cullen, um, the emphasis changed as, you know, competing versus winning. Mm -hmm. And we, we end up, and what happens with teams is as they evolve, they, they end up getting the odd win here or there. And it kind of, you can see with Connacht sometimes, Connacht get the odd scalp, but they never really get consistency behind that. Whereas Leinster started to get consistency. So in around the time when we beat Munster with 14 men, 
Monster at their height. And that was yeah. an incredible victory for us. And Brian would say that was bad for us. But actually, it was great for the players there on the pitch. But that kind of inconsistent but big events happened. And then the march into Europe. Uh, that 2006, when they lost to Munster in the semi-final, that was a big knock because Munster were just stopping Leinster. But then there was revenge in 2009 when, in Croke Park. And that's when it really, really started. The belief, the expectation, but the, the performances matching the expectation and bringing on Johnny Sexton, who's like, you know, the competitor that he is, that wants to win. So a lot more people like Brian were, you know, it's not good enough just to wear the jersey. We need to win medals. We need to win cups. And Brian spoke recently about maybe going to France during that period where he wanted to win European Cups, and that might have been the road to, to do it. But luckily enough, he stayed, and they won it in 2009, and so, so on and so on, 11, 12, et cetera. Yeah. So that's where the dynamic changed. And then you've got people who want to be part of that from all the provinces. So around my time, there was, was mainly Dublin Four schools. I'm not Dublin Four, but I was born in the Wicklow Mountains. But then you had Literally, Shane. Literally, over my head. <laughs> <laughs> the size of the man. <laughs> Shane Horkin then came in, obviously, you know, from, from, from Loud, and then sort of spread around Sean O'Brien. and became the 12 county army, and then success breeds success. You know, and then sometimes, you know, because you've got so much strength and depth in positions, players get picked out and sent to Ulster, not Connacht the Munster. And then you find yourself in a, in a, in a final. In, in 2022, where Tyg Furlong has to start the game, even though he's injured. Yeah. You know, even Loy, Loy didn't do the captain's run. Loy wasn't yeah. fully fit at all. So, you know, it, it, all of these happen, these things happen. We have too many players that you, they leave, you know, so it's hard to get that balance right. And, and in fairness to Leo, he's been brilliant at managing players. But it is amazing when you look at Leinster um, and all the Munster fans are going to be, we're going to be going to be getting unbelievable hate here for uh, for gushing all over Leinster, aren't we? On social media, uh, delete your Twitter. Um, <laughs> but it, I find it amazing when you look and think back and talk about the journey you're on. Even you look at Donnybrook mm. and like the just the game in Dublin now in particular, all around Leinster, but Dublin in particular. You know, you have a bit of success, and they talk about success breeds success, and yeah. the better you get. The more sponsors want in the game, the more money comes in the game, the more money comes in the game. You can sign your Rocky Elsoms to top up. Then yeah. you're signing Michael Checker and then you're bringing in Joe Schmidt and the players keep getting better and better. And then every kid growing up wants to play for Leinster and then every parent wants their kid and then the money's going into the schools. Yeah. You know I mean, and then the next thing you're, you've got this machine, which is what Leinster is at the minute, spitting out players everywhere. Mm. And I think at Ulster, I've said this before on this podcast, there's probably, I'd say, over 10 players that um, went to school somewhere mm. in Leinster. Yeah. They're phenomenal. They're good players, you know, and I'm not talking about the obvious ones, the Jordy Murphys, mm. the John Coonies. Um, I'm talking about like the O'Connor brothers from Scaries, Dave Shanahan, Greg Jones, guys that were Timoney. No, yeah, Nick Timoney, got nowhere at Leinster, now he's yeah. an Irish international. Yeah. Um, so I just find it quite interesting, but we better give Munster a wee bit of love. How much of that, how much of Munster's success in that sort of era do you think spurred them on? Because there's always that, um, you know, once you do it once or once somebody does it, yeah. you know, or uh, they doing that. Why are we not doing well, that? Well, absolutely. So the greatest nemesis to Leinster was Munster, you know, and we were always compared to Munster. And if you're competing for Irish places, particularly in my position, it was, you know, the desired Irish team was the Munster pack and the Leinster yeah. backline. That's the way it was. Yeah. And we as pack in, in Leinster wanted to kind of negate this. And it was hard because, you know, we go out in games against, you know, from way back to McGaughy, Clossie, and then Axel, and then you know, any amount of Frankie Sheen, Paul Hayes, Paul Cal, Donald Callahan. You keep going. Oh, Alan Quinn. Legend of the game, like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and like you come off at the back of a scrum and you get met by this red wall. You know, hence I, I used to be, I've got scars, I used to be really good looking, I've got all these scars, right? <laughs> but I can name them, you know, this is uh, Eddie, Eddie, and this is Alan Quinn, and that's whoever else. 
But, you know, you wanted to be that, but you also felt the passion. So when you go and run with a ball or someone takes the ball in and you get hit so low and so fast by a red team that believes in themselves, but also had a great relationship with the crowd. So if you look at the Toulouse game in the Viva, that was the monster crowd of old, the 16th man that believed in their team. And, you know, I remember Rog saying to us years ago when we were out of a European Cup and say we won a 16, I think we won the Grand Slam, the, Grand Slam, the Triple Crown in 2004. Rog had to leave Irish camp to go, to go down, down and produce a performance for Munster because that's what his fans demanded out of him. We didn't really have that until now with the Leinster fans. But Raj and Munster had that. We, we were jealous of that. And, and you know, and you want to see that coming back into Munster. Um, but that's the way it was back then. We, we were always being judged against Munster. Munster were cruising in to beat English teams and French teams that we could never beat, you know, until recent times. And, and, and you know, both, all provinces need each other to push each other. So having Munster in a situation now, when not so long ago, Thomas Park has got vacant seats in a massive European Cup game, is unheard of, should be unheard of, mm. you know? So you see a bit of it uh, in the Aviva and Toulouse come back and everyone's singing zombie at half time. You yeah, know, that, that's, that's the passion, you know? And like now, of course, that only consolation of losing the weekend was Raj and Donegal Callan, the whole of Munster effectively won that game. And, and yeah. rightly so, <laughs> rightly so, you know? Yeah. Um, because that's coming back. That'll be some time back in Ireland, that coaching ticket. It is um, interesting how the provinces um, do feed off each other. And mm. actually, it's very special. I noticed it sort of more towards the end of my career, how much, I think we are very blessed in Ireland with how professional rugby, you look at the state of the um, situation in Wales, I think we're yeah. very blessed with how oh, professional yeah. rugby's yeah. worked. And I remember uh, one of my last games playing at the Viva against Leinster in the quarterfinal. Um, and we had to give a great show on ourselves. And one of the sort of, okay, you know, you've, you've gone and you've, Fantastic, and you've lost. So it's a wee bit one of those ones, the mm. ugly, the ugly wee brother, um, which is the way it was for a lot of my career. But I remember um, going on my phone after, and you know, first thing came up was one of the Welsh players was in Dubai, you know, on holidays because mm. it was a down week, and I thought, you know, I think they just won a Grand Slam that year as well. And I did think it is very, very special in mm. Ireland that we can come to the Aviva, you know, and try and absolutely obliterate each other, and there was no games. That when I was playing for Ulster, we wanted to win more than yeah. the three, you know, because they're the they're your brothers, you know. Yeah, you yeah. want to beat them up, and then you come into camp and you're united to go and you know when um, you know beat the All Blacks as it is now and win Six Nations. Um, and I think at at Ulster, you know, we always had envy when Leinster played Munster because these games would be in the Viva, yeah. with 60,000 people, yeah. and we would always be like, why, like why in Leinster, why did Leinster not want to beat us? Yeah. Why did Munster? Do you know what I mean? We yeah. wanted to be the team that. Um, you know, we didn't want to go to Dumont Park and um, the place be half empty because yeah. actually no one in no one in Munster cared about beating Ulster because it wasn't yeah. a big deal. Or when we went to play Leinster, you know, the, well the RDS would have been full, but there wouldn't ever have been talk about moving it to Viva. Yeah, and that would have been the chip on our shoulder. And yeah. said, you know, we yeah. want to be one of those I teams. Know you, you know, I can't can't want to can't want a league. Pretty much, yeah. over having a chip on their shoulder. No. In fairness no. to them, but, but and the, as we know, it was more recently than Munster and Ulster have won a league. Of course, it was. But uh, just before we move on from this game, just mm. go back to that. Or your point on O'Gara there again. Now he's probably going to come back here at some stage. Well, at least we hope anyway. Touchwood. Hopefully, mm. Munster probably more than likely Ireland. But I think, correct me if I'm wrong. Now, I know our podcast listeners will give out to me if I don't get the stats right. But I think it's 2013 is when he retired. So he's coaching since 2014. In that six-year period, straight away he won a top 14 title with Racing. Then he went off to New Zealand, two Super Rugby titles. Now he's over here. He's brought uh, La Rochelle to two finals last year in a Champions Cup and top 14 and now won the Champions Cup already. I mean, mm. this guy is already building an incredible CV for himself as a coach. 
what next for him? Like, is he going to stick around here for much longer? Do you think, or is it time for will he move on to a new challenge somewhere else, or back to Ireland maybe? I guess it depends on the wife and kids and where they are. You know, um, I mean, fundamentally, if you want to be a coach, you've got to hit the road. Um, mm-hmm. Some people like Gino Vase in Toulouse years ago, and now Leo. Leo's stayed home. Um, Declan Kidney for a while before he went to London Irish, but Roger's done their tour, you know, and being successful. And of course, going down to Canterbury as an Irish coach, you know, unheard of, unheard of, and being successful, Mm. then coming back into La Rochelle. So I think, I mean, Roger's smart enough to bide his time, you know, I mean, fundamentally, most coaches end in failure, you know, be it the club that they're with, whatever else. So, you know, he's got to gauge that and manage that. But I think for sure he'll come back and coach Munster, and that'll be great to see. And who he comes back to coaching with could be O'Connell, Donica. I mean, you know, but then he's smart enough to know the timing is right and when the right timing would be right, but also the players that they have down there, you know, the squads they have. But mm. certainly, I mean, it's such a joy to watch someone being successful, from, you know, from afar in, yeah. a, in, a, in a foreign land, speaking a foreign language and then making it, you know, it's an incredible success story. But I've no doubt there's more to come. But, you know, then you got to understand coaches here have cycles so you know mainly these cycles finish up in the world cup so yeah. where will rog be at the end of 2023 where will andy farrell be you know that, that's to consider as well sometimes you can miss that boat you know? i think his contract is up at the end of next season with larry his current these cards he signed a three-year deal when he became and took over as the full head coach which with keeps gone so i think the, interesting one the thing i have so much admiration for him as you say victor you touched on it there it's the just um just to go go away and yeah. to be so crystal clear, this is not a criticism of anyone who's transitioned into cro- coaching the organic way, Colin. Mm. But it is so much easier to um, play for Munster or Leinster for te- or Ulster Connacht for 10 or 15 years and then retire and become the video analyst uh, and then coach the backs or coach the scrum yeah. and then work your way up that way. Well, and again, that is not a criticism of everyone who's done that way. Like there's no need to uh, go a more difficult path. But to do what he's done, and go completely like he never he had never played in France. I don't know if he could speak a word of French. He went into yeah. racing and he you know, was he there kicking coach and then it was chatty was um King coach and defensive defense coach. coach. Yeah. yeah, which I always you know, defense wasn't a wasn't a strength of his game, so <laughs> that was a strange time. No offense, Rog. Um, I know he's a big listener of the show. But to go and do that, yeah, and then you know, go and let's be honest, the Crusaders probably weren't the that probably wasn't the top uh pay sheet on his desk. Probably you know, not, he probably no. thought, let's go do that. Scott Robertson, one of the best coaches in the world. So I have a lot of respect for that. Um, and for, you know, it's a long journey. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's not, if he's if it's a long time before he's back in Ireland. Yeah. You know, uh, as you said, like he could want to, um, I think he's a bit young in his coaching career to be cashing in in Japan, but I wouldn't mm. be surprised to see him there at some stage. I wouldn't be surprised if the French national team there's well, actually talk, going, there has been talk out over in France. You know, they'll so. be they'll be they'll be throwing everything at him. And then for him, you know, the ultimate job for him was probably head coach of Ireland. So you mm. wouldn't it's a bit early to jump in that. And I think you've also got to consider these coaches have got to transition through the coaching setup as well. Yeah. You know, he, he could have been the Ireland kicking coach the day he retired. He's yeah. young as well, but you forget that as well. He's quite young. Yeah, and he's only in his early 40s, you know? You look at the likes, we've got to talk about Munster, keep the fans out. You look at Roundtree, yeah. and like, how long has he been coaching for? But this is, I think I'm right in saying this is his first one. Yeah. As like, first whereas Rog has kind of done, you know, he's gone, moved up the ranks quite quickly. Um, so I think, listen, it's brilliant for him. He's a lovely guy. I think in Ireland, even provincially, when we get past the partisanship, which we love to hate each mm. other, but we don't really. I think everyone in Ireland's delighted for him. And Donica Ryan, yeah. first yeah. year in coaching. Um, yeah. And whoever, you know, I think we get a bit carried away of where's Rod going next. 
La Rochelle for the foreseeable future, but the world yeah. is always oyster after that. But you can also see someone staying because many people have left the country, got bedded in two years. It takes probably two, three years to set up in a foreign land. Then you got to consider, well, when do we leave? When's a good time to leave with the wife and family, get them back into school? So, you know, there, there should be a contingent in the IRFU that if they want the likes of Agara back, they got to start working on it, working on yeah. a plan because mm. all of a sudden, you know, he may never come home, you know, and lots of people have done it, but uh, there's plenty of places for him to go apart from Ireland. Ireland could be his last coaching job, Munster could be his last coaching job. So he might want to put that off for a long time. And as you say, I think he might say, you know, he's, I think the better your career is, probably the harder it is for you to coach yeah. that team mm. and that country. You know, and a guy like him who's had that career with Munster in Ireland, you know, like his reputation in Munster Ireland can only really go down. Like he's one of the greatest, yeah. most successful players in the history of the province and the country. Uh, there's very few players that are more popular, held in higher esteem. Um, there's not much. Do you know what I mean? You can't yeah. become. So, you know, basically, any, what we're, what we're saying I mean? is, like, Joe, we just got to keep an eye on this guy over the next couple of years. Always stay in contact with him, whether you're Munster, whether you're a few, and or when Ulster. the opportunities, or, or Ulster, or anyone, when the opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> well, he could, you never know, but when the opportunity arises, okay, now it's time to bring Ogar in. And, do, don't let them slip through our fingers. I think mm. that was what we're saying. But look, we'll move on anyway. We've uh, enough wax and earth about Agara. I, know, I can't believe I'm actually saying that. But uh, we're going to move on. We've got a few fan questions for you. So first up, we've got an interesting one here. It's um, you featured in the very first ever European match that Linster played in. Sorry, no, I'm not trying to make you feel old or anything. That's fine. <laughs> but uh, what can you remember about that occasion? I remember it was very exciting. Uh, at the time, European, the Interpros were the big thing, you know, uh, to win the Interpros. And nobody turned up. I mean, there was like, AIL was huge, club rugby was huge, so there was eight, ten thousand 10,000 people at club rugby. At that, those days, we called our clubs the clubs, uh, Mary's for me, St. Mary's. Um, so the Interpros were a huge thing, and then this European stage arrived, and you really knew little else about these teams. There wasn't a lot of video work done or anything like that, or analysis, you just went out and played. And we had a really good team. We had a really strong side that was derived from the AIL. Um, and we won the Interpros that year. We got as far as the semis against Cardiff in Lansdowne Road in 1995. Um, but it was a fantastic journey. It was fantastic because it was right around the time of professionalism. So there was money coming into the game. Uh, Sky were there. They were coming into the game as well. So it was a really, really exciting time. Really exciting time. And we had a super team in Leinster. Um, on the back, of, as I said, winning the Interpros, we then took on Europe. We didn't have that killer instinct to continue. We could have beaten Cardiff. And I think Breve won the first one. So, yeah. you know, but we never actually went down to France. I think we played, uh, not too sure if we played before Cardiff, but we were sticking close to home in the first, uh, in that first year. Oh, he went to Milan, actually. Oh, and nice. yeah, uh, Diego Dominguez was the Argentinian yeah. half for, oh, for Milan. Yeah, so Class I had a good go run over him a few times. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, he wasn't too fond of tackling. Yeah. No, 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 he did the your man yeah. defensive system, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I wasn't too fond of falling over. So, um yeah, and that was really exciting times. Uh, but if we knew the journey that was ahead, my God, you know, like That's crazy. Know, you, yeah. um, we always talk about transition, transition to professional. Can you tell us a bit about what that actually, like, what does that actually mean? Were you guys rocking up on like a Tuesday and a Thursday night, and like, and then you know, someday, like, was there whispers, or were you pulled in? A few of you said, "There's a few quid." Like, yeah. can you give us a bit of detail about sure. that transition? Good question. Well, first of all, schools rugby where I came from, Black Rock, was professional way back through the 70s, 80s, 90s, because you trained so often, right? So you trained two, three times a day, twice a day. Then he went into a club. And back in my day, actually, Johnny Bell was the first person, yeah. I think, that tra transitioned from school into Irish setup. 
because it was an apprenticeship. Like when you finished in school, you went to 19s, college, under 21s, and then you kind of were kind of waiting around a couple of years. There was no real identification of players. But Johnny Bell, if I remember, was one of the first ones that went on tour in 94 to Australia as a kid. Um, the transition to professionalism, there was a lot, of, a lot of talk about money coming into the game, that we were going to be allowed to do, play this game we love and get paid for it. There was no structures in place. Originally, it was going to be the clubs. So if you think of the strong clubs around the time were Gary Owen, Mary's, Lansdowne, um, Khan, Cork Khan. Shannon. Shannon, yeah. yeah. Um, so they were going to get the money. They were going to be clubs and they were going to compete in Europe. But luckily for the RFU, uh, it was the provinces that got the club status within Europe. Now, if you think the success the provinces brought to the Irish team, yes, you know, as you say, organically, whereas every other country had their their Toulouse, their you know Cardiff and Swansea and Wales and Leicester, whatever else, but the actual provincial structure really gave a great foundation for the Irish team to perform because it lifted the players out of the clubs, which didn't suit the clubs at all now. But mm. but from a provincial point of view, there was four provinces yeah. that competed in Europe all the time at a high level, which pr- provided a platform of 60-odd players for the national team. Yeah. You know, and it took a while for the general punter to go to a Leinster game. So in my case, uh, Friday Night Rugby in Donnybrook in the late 90s, you, you started to get a handful of people, but the main clubs hated it because it took from the AIL and the Saturdays. No one likes change. No one likes change. Yeah. But then Friday Night Rugby was a must-do. You know, People coming along from work in Donnybrook would pop in. The lights were there, the floodlights, and a quality game ensued in, in, in Friday night because it was a home game. We won most of our home games back then. So yeah, <laughs> it was only on the road. Most of the, most of the lads then just working normal jobs. Yeah. And then just, or the Lancer Rancher there, if you just like, right, like there's 20, and like, are people just quitting their jobs? Is training moved to the daytime? It, it, like, no, it kind of merged. Um, around 97, it became, we, well, basically what happened, there were players were contracted from the IRFU first. So okay. the top players were contracted. Then, then it, it dripped into the provinces. So clubs were paying match fees, expenses, oh. right? So uh, that's the way it was. And then provinces started to pay salaries, but low salaries. So you were kind of part-time. If you had a job, you were part-time, but you'd get paid uh, you know, part-time wage. If you were contracted to Ireland, you then were full-time. What we, people really struggled with at that time was if you were contracted to Ireland, you were brought out training every day. For people who had jobs, we're thinking, well, how can you train every day? Like, I mean, they must have loads of time off. And people who weren't involved didn't have a clue what players did. They thought they just threw a ball around and had a laugh, right? And turn up Friday night. So then, Sounds about right. Yeah. So <laughs> it came around. Like, then the problem was when it became fully professional, coaches then thought that you must train harder every yeah. day. So there was no none of these signs where, oh, you need a rest. You know, you need yeah. to, like, there's no rest ever. You just keep kept on training, you know? So you were flogged during the week having to play a game at the weekend. So it went up into kind of an intense training. I'm going to say raw, raw training. And then the signs kicked in in the kind of mid-naughties where, you know, if a guy was 28, 19 stone, not saying anyone was 19 stone or anything, but if they were, they could actually do lighter training rather yeah. than the same as a guy who's 10 stone or 12 stone. So I know, which one, of, I know which one of those you were in. He said he was still in them, yeah. yeah. <laughs> even like, even Nogar was something like that with Skelton. And mm. I guess like, Skelton played 80 minutes in that final game. And it's just like, the first time I seen him up in person, he like he's like a small car, essentially, is what he yeah. is. Like, can you send my car or something? Just mm. taller. <laughs> so like he said, like, O'Gara said, like, he had to, he had to manage his workload so yeah. carefully so because of his size. But and, if you look at Skelton, right, nobody thought he was going to play. If, they, if I was going to play, he was going to be for 10 minutes. Yeah. He wasn't going to start. He was going to come off the bench. 
and he starts and that's 80 minutes. <laughs> so when you when you look at the rugby now, Leinster and Ireland, uh, do you would you relish a rattle at this now? The not just okay. Firstly, the money. Is there any part of you that looks and goes, "Look, these lads are absolutely, you know, making an absolute killing." Uh, you know, I'd love to have done that. And the game in terms of like a guy who had your sort of natural size, the opportunity to get you know, imagine you were on Black Rock now. You mm. know what I mean? And the athleticism. And you yeah. playing and played in that game, or do you look at it and think, "Oh, um, all right, like I do"? <laughs> <laughs> do you know, there was a time when when I won the first Heineken Cup. I, there was a time where, geez, you know, we tried so hard for that, and then they won so many Heineken Cups and they won Grand Slams. And you know, thinking, you know, it, the expectation levels were so high for us. Winning a Heineken Cup was just the holy grail. It was like we, we got close to it. It was just yeah. fantastic. The generation we had, you know, and I'm serious, it's the same with you, Darren. The generation I had, I wouldn't change. You know, yes. the Rogers, the Clonsies, the Reggies, the Keith Walls, the Shane Browns, I can name them all. You know, that generation were fantastic. We transitioned into professional rugby. We really enjoyed ourselves and we enjoyed the fans learning as they went. So the fans got used to, you know, rugby and the odd win and the success and the fun, the heartbreak. Now the expectation, that's why. You're so annoyed about that game of the weekend because the expectation was so high. And to a certain extent, it was it was relevant. You could go back and say, oh, well, we were always going to suffer in a scrum and so our rooks was never going to be that fast. But ultimately, the expectation is so high, mm. so the heartbreak is even higher. And, you know, I think the pressure on individuals now to perform, um, the pressure to, to win is just constant. And the seasons. Geez, is there ever an off-season? I mean, no. three, five games in, in uh, New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Like you still have, you still have the knockout stages URC to come and then straight yeah. into New Zealand and then, then once that's over you're into the season and then Champions Cup, November Internationals, small sorry, small matter for World Cup coming up next year then as well. It's so, maintaining form. You, you um, <laughs> mentioned expectation and it's it's not just the island, it's actual players. I noticed that um when it was I think I it cut the Joe McCarthy getting yeah. his medal mm. and he was disgusted. Uh, yeah. He's only a kid thought, like his first time he's got final. <laughs> you know, shipped 50 points to Twickenham in the final of the Champions Cup. And like, I'm so, like, it's probably the, one of my biggest achievements. I don't know where the, the silver medal or the second medal uh, is. Yeah, but you appreciate it. it up. Yeah. I'm going to flip that. Like, that's what is breeding. What you know what? The minute. He's disgusted. And I'm going, you've only played eight games a professional <laughs> rugby. I know. But the problem there is, the problem there is when it's going wrong, you know, can they adjust? That's, mm. the, you know, you had a lot of. People talked about who who were missing when they lost to La Rochelle last time, but they've new people that are here this time that you know were inexperienced. So you know who's making calls on the pitch, who can change a game, and so on and so on. You know, so I was at that game. It was a great game in uh, 2012. By the way, <laughs> thanks for the uh, yeah. thanks for the entertainment. You are welcome. You are welcome. <laughs> it was in a great experience. Here. It, it was a great experience. It was great. Um, as many people might not know, to be able to know what I want, you're a qualified pilot. Mm. You were uh, you flew with Ryanair for a while, and you have your own uh, flight school now down in Florida. Um, I think this is a great question. So, playing in the back row in a tight Interpro Derby against Munster, or flying a seven three seven, which is more stressful? Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends where that seven three seven is being flown. Uh, yeah. But if I can match them up, playing in the back row with, against Munster, if I was it in Tama Park, did you, did you? just any any like yeah. a, like any like the biggest tight tightest Interpro, some of the Play, toughest games you played in. Playing against the back row in my day, say in Tama Park against the back row of many back rows Munster could have provided. Is like trying to land the 737 in a very dark thunderstorm <laughs> in Italy in the rain. You know, <laughs> you know you're going to get there, but it ain't going to be easy. 
Oh, it's a great way. And how, how did you get? How did that come about? Because again, we're chatting about professionalism. So you hung up the boots and said, "I'm going to be a pilot." Or had you history? <clears throat> well, yeah, no, but no, no history. Basically, like what you're saying. So we, you talk about the money they can make these days, and the players, and the success, and the careers they can make of themselves. Um, back in our day, transitioning into the real world, we were lucky we had amateur first. So therefore, we knew that this was going to end. We knew at some stage we're going to have to find a job. So I was always the, the, the player on the team in the, in the, uh, in the aircraft because you travel everywhere, as you know. I was a guy in the aisle because obviously I'm bigger. So I'd, I'd be always looking down the flight deck. What's, what are those buttons doing down there? You know, and <laughs> I, I, I wasn't great at maths. I know you wouldn't believe that. I wasn't great at maths and physics in school. So um, I was wondering, would you ever get in there? How do you get in there? So it was just a case of, you know, being intrigued. And then you start the journey of training to be a pilot. And, it's a lot. It's a lot easier now to a certain extent because back in the day, you know, you kind of had twenty twenty vision, and you know, mm. you had all these kind of ideas about physics and how plane flies. And yes, you do need to know that, obviously, but it's it's kind of wide, more wide open now, and there's a lot more careers and jobs yeah. available. So it's like a hundred hours or something you have to do with start just to get you just two hundred fifty hours. Two hundred fifty hours. Yeah. yeah. So Whoa. you start off in the light aircraft. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot. It's like in yeah. the sky. And it's just, so, um, so, so it's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy at all, it's but, it's, easy. but it's equally rewarding. So, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like that question. Um, it's equally rewarding. You're landing aircraft uh, while everyone else is in bed. You know, like you're, you're half your day is finished on early when people are going to work. You know, so you know getting a clap when the plane lands? You don't hear the clap in the doors. Anymore, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're still going to hear it. What's the point of the clap? <laughs> no, Listen, sometimes I clap myself when I land on the table. <laughs> <laughs> and um, flight school in Florida? Mm. That's uh, like to to uh, one of our random millions of listeners. That's quite a random piece of information. It tells yeah. us just anything about how yeah. that came about. Well, basically, yeah. when you're a pilot, we were those eight years in an airline, and uh, you're asked all the time how to become a pilot. So we decided to to plan a route for people. So uh, Florida, because of the blue skies, um, is a lot of people train in Florida. Um, so we opened Irish Flight School in in Florida. So we've got uh, two runways down there, two offices open. So yeah, we're we're basically a European flight school in Florida to train European pilots that may not have the weather over here. But as I said, fully Irish owned. So very proud of that. Yeah. That's brilliant. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I'd say like Florida. No, I'd say the weather ain't too bad down there. I'd say it's uh, it's definitely better than what we're getting over here. It is. It'd be a bit like when I say it's getting pretty hot. You know? yeah. But as I said, it's the blue skies that's attractive, so people can get you know qualified quickly. That's, that's something that I mean we forget about. I mentioned yesterday. Like I, mean, I was over there in terms of the heat. Like the Saturday wasn't as bad as the Friday, it wasn't as humid, but it was like 29, 30 degrees. And then aren't used to that. No. You know, mm. paying 80 minutes in a final when it's 30 degrees, dead humid, like no clouds in the sky whatsoever. That definitely played into that Lara Shell It makes a big difference. I always um I always thought when I was playing, like when you're when you're signing players, I was like, sign Kiwis, sign Kiwis, because they can handle all the well. Don't sign Aussies. South Africans are okay because they're absolutely enormous. Yeah. Uh, do you know what I mean? But don't be like just sign because like they're just they're brought up playing in the, in the not not the idiot mode, but the pitch and rain. So yeah, it definitely didn't work for Lancer that those conditions. We were actually ahead of our time one time in '96. Uh, we uh, prior to six five nations at the time, we went warm weather training in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, it's great. It snowed the whole week. First time ever. First time ever uh, snow. That's such, a, that's, such a, that's such an Irish story. That was the Irish team as well. Yeah. 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 Ah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Another interesting uh, fact, Victor. We've got just it's full of these these mad facts. You are a five times Irish shot put champion, and you competed in the nineteen ninety two Barcelona Olympics. Where are the, where are the Olympic rings? 
the ring rings, yeah. Um, well, I got freckles, so I didn't need to get any tattoos, you know, I've got enough freckles, so tattoo wouldn't work. Yeah, no, athletics, um, athletics versus rugby, shot putting, it isn't that glamorous. Um, I was reasonably good at it, but at the time, as we spoke earlier, I was coming up the ranks in rugby. And athletics wasn't really funded that well. Fantastic people in it, really great people involved in the structure, but the funding wasn't there. So if you look at what we were doing at schools, rugby down back in the day, under 21s, it was just hotels, resources, the whole lot. Whereas athletics is really, 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 uh, it's a selfish sport. You know, you've got to be on your own. And it just, I much prefer the team sports. I was lucky that when I was growing up in athletics, as a as a player, there wasn't much happening in the early twenties, as I spoke about the Johnny Ron Johnny Bell effect. So I had time to go and uh, and, and continue the shot putting, but I was never going to continue uh, being involved in a team sport. Was was so much more rewarding for uh, if you went out and threw a shot put and you won, it was great. If you lost, you're on yourself to blame. If you let someone down in a tackle, you've got 14 people you've let down, you know. But then conversely to that, when you win, you win together. So. I was lucky I was involved in the team sport and a, and a lonely sport of, of, of sorts, and I chose the team sport. But shot putting was really good to me, really good to me. It wasn't great to me from a rugby point of view because yeah. your fast twitch muscles are, make you great over 10 yards, not so great <laughs> over 3K. <you> know? <laughs> I remember when, <laughs> or 80 minutes. when Ulster signed Tom Court. I remember mm. Tom Court, he was in shooting yeah. shot putter, yeah. and like, by God, he was powerful, but he mm. could not move. Yeah. Um, it was like, you know, and then shot put, you're in the way, yeah. like, I don't know how big, say, two meter circle. Yeah. That was like, you know, I mean, that's the rugby, you know, you've got that par output, but it's yeah, in that vicinity, you know. I used to say to people, what was the warm up for the shot put? And I said, two laps of the circle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So before we finish up, I know we touched on it last week on the show, so our listeners will, will have seen us gone through that in detail, but we took a quick look at the quarterfinals of the URC coming up. So first up, Leinster, Glasgow mm-hmm. at home. I don't want to uh, mince my words out again or chew them again uh, based on what happened the weekend, but is that a foregone conclusion? Do you know what? Listening to Leo Cullen this morning asking the supporters to turn up is, is not where you want to be, you know? Um, <laughs> like, I don't know whether he thinks the supporters are fickle, but what he was asking them to turn up in the RDS, it depends on their selection. I mean, yes, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think there'd be a level under that team that performed last weekend, they'll be ready to take on Glasgow at home, absolutely. Yeah. I'd agree. In Glasgow, um, famous last words now. This is the problem with these things. Uh, <laughs> I will, I haven't been that impressed with Glasgow. They no. finished in eighth. They're not in Europe next year. Yeah. Um, they weren't great against Edinburgh. Uh, it's rugby, so it can happen, but I would be very surprised to see anything other than a Leinster win there. Definitely. What about the big one? The big one. Up, up oh north. Up north. Oh my goodness. Ulster and Munster. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's a foregone conclusion, you know, home win, isn't it? now listen you go first Victor. well do you know what i mean i don't know what are the crowd supports like up there i mean monster i just think monster are on a decline till van graham leaves you know it's very hard to play for a coach who's out the door or a coaching ticket he's already in that yeah i mean he's gone and you know such quality players in monster that if they were being driven right and i just think they're kind of on a slope at the moment they need next season to start as soon as possible so I, I would probably go for a home win. I have to go for a home win. I'm not coming on any show and saying that Munster are going to win at Belfast. I know they did a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
Yeah, listen, I am backing Ulster. I just think like they had it, they hit that slump. I thought Munster really deserved to beat them in uh, in Belfast that yeah. uh, was say a month ago, whatever it was. I just don't think Ulster will play that badly again. I think they've got more in them. Um, and yeah, I'm going. Uh, I'm going Ulster when I have to. Same as you. Yeah. No, I, honest to God, I can't believe I'm saying this. Oh, you fancy Ulster? Trying to switch out. I think yeah, I know Munster are beating them twice this season, but. That came against Leinster, that came against Toulouse, took a lot of the Munster, they're on the decline. I said it on the show last week, I personally think Van Gren's brain's already in bats. He's already thinking ahead of next season. Uh, I think Ulster are starting to come back into form again. They've got a lot of their players back. There's no messing around with, with the likes of Lowry in a 10, you know what I mean? Like They're ready to go. That's, they're going to have a full house in the Kingspan. That's the key one. I think, um, I think people have a huge... Um, do not realise how important Billy Burns is to Ulster. But because Michael Laurie's not a not a, a fly half at that oh. level. So when he goes, it's not like Leinster where you just chuck Ross Burn in or Harry Burn if you're really stuck or <laughs> yeah. somebody else if you're absolutely fucked. Frawley, they've got plenty yeah, there. Like, you know what I mean? I think when he plays, uh, he doesn't get a lot of credit because yeah. the way he plays, he's not spectacular. But if you look at the backs around him or how he brings players into the game. So yeah, I think that'll make a big difference and I'm hoping and I'm going for Ulster. Yeah, yeah. Um, Stormers versus Edinburgh. Stormers have had an incredible second half of the season. They finished second in the table. I think if any, a lot of people are saying that today could be the team that could possibly beat. Let we're saying Leinster now, but maybe maybe Ulster, but they're the strongest South African team. I mean, I'd, I'd fancy a home run there for the Stormers, especially the fact that it's in South Africa. Do you think they'll be? Do you think if they win, they would beat Glasgow in the next round? Do you? <laughs> what do you think? In fact, have you seen much of the like? Let's be honest; it's hard to catch all the rugby. It is. So you know, exactly. There's a lot of ruggers on. Well, I go for another home win there for sure. Um, you know, I mean, the South Africans coming into URC took a while to get going, and now they're hitting form. You know, yeah. and as usual, hitting form at the bloody right time. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah final, I agree with that one. Yeah, definitely. The final one, and I, the final one's the tricky one. It's the Bulls and the Sharks. So the Bulls are at home, but. I think the Sharks, I mean, the Sharks have got the likes of, you know, Khaleesi and whatnot and, and Bippy and they've got some really, really big names in that team. Um, yeah. Listen, it's it's really hard to know, isn't it? Like we've, um, of all the games, you know, where we're going through with a with a fine comb, it's probably not the South African derbies, mm-hmm. you know, so we don't know. Um, I would probably just have to go home win. You know, I think, I do know from playing over there, there's a bit of altitude in the Bulls. I know uh, they're particularly formidable at home. Um, albeit, uh, and I suppose the Sharks in Belfast, the last time I've seen them play and watched them closely, um, they finished really strongly, but as a whole, I wasn't that impressed with them. So uh, again, it's like, who knows? And either team that wins that game is going to be a force to be reckoned with this competition, but home win again. So it doesn't really matter anyway who wins the quarterfinals and who wins the semifinals, because Leinster are going to win it anyway, right? That's, that's a foregone conclusion. Uh, let's, let's, let's build that narrative. <laughs> Munster beat Ulster this way, Leinster Not to worry about Leinster already got a one, you know, so... That's it. But look, guys, um, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. Um, Victor, I hope you enjoyed coming on. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Pity about the result, but... Yeah. <laughs> Darren, sick of looking at me, to said, yeah. It's good to, it's good to come be back here. Uh, uh, Victor was a great guest, wasn't he? Very yeah. interesting and listening to our nonsense here and just something, something <laughs> a little bit different. Uh, and a proper Olympian, not like uh, the Love Island Olympian, Greg O'Shea. So. <laughs> <laughs> we, we love you too, Greg. We love you too, Greg. But uh, thanks again to our partners, Bank of Ireland. Proud supporters of the four Irish provinces. Joe presents House of Rugby, United Rugby Championship, together with Bank of Ireland. Proud supporter of the four Irish provinces.